0: Welcome to the Post-NARC Life Podcast. It's time to leave behind the narcissist narrative and build an amazing life that you love. You got through, but you're not done. We're gonna build your next level of wealth, create healthy relationships, find deep self-connection to expand your unique impact on this world and leave behind a legacy of love. I'm your host, Laura, by the way. I've been there. I get it, and I've got you. Let's go build your post-narc life. Hello again. Welcome back to episode thirteen. Another episode here on the Post-Narc Life podcast. How is it going for you this week? Things are a little bit better for me this week than they were last week. I'm happy to report. Although the colds and other various viruses are coming through the family, so if I have to clear my throat or sniffle a little bit, you'll understand. All right, so today's episode is about how to make sure you're not the narc. So this is a really interesting episode because this is one that I really, I get questions like this a a lot a lot of my clients struggle with this fear that they might secretly be the narcissist, okay? But I want to start off with talking about the label of narcissist. I think I've kind of mentioned this here and there uh, throughout different episodes, but I think it's really important to understand kind of the nuanced take I have on this word. And I really want to ask you, in your own mind, how the label of narcissist works for you in the sense that, is that a label that you like? to apply to other people. Is it a useful label? Is it a label at all? Is it judgmental to call someone a narcissist? Is it a life sentence? Is it something that may or may not be true? Is it creating more drama for you or is it creating less drama? The calling of other people as narcissists, it's something that is a hundred percent up to you. And like I mentioned in a previous episode, probably doesn't actually apply to as many people as we know, but there's just not a better word. I noticed that if someone is on a narc spectrum, but they're not full-blown narcissist, sometimes I'll use something like emotionally immature or emotional child, which also sounds very much like a label. It sounds a little bit judgmental. It sounds a little bit condescending sometimes. I certainly don't mean it in that way, but I, I certainly is not my intention that all of us go around in this world and we look around everybody like you know the reverse Oprah and say, you're a narc and you're in a child and you're an emotional child. It's really not about that. But sometimes it can feel like that, especially if somebody in your life is on the receiving end of this label and they don't appreciate it. <laughs> it's it's kind of a tricky thing. And again, most of my clients, when we actually end up doing the work together, we don't actually even use the word narcissist to talk about their person. It's really just a convenient way of one word to describe a bunch of different things that people like these people do. Their inability to have empathy, their inability to connect like a normal human, their uh, tendency to put their own needs, their own wants above anything and everything else, their tendency to manipulate, to use emotions to get you to do what they want, their inability to put themselves in your shoes or see things from your perspective, constantly judging, constantly doing all the things, right? That's typically what narcissists do or people who are emotional children that use harmful tools. It's just a really short, easy way for me to describe that type of person. But ultimately, I'm not here to dole out life sentence labels for anybody or even use that word to write anyone off in your family or circle. It's really just about, okay, what is reality here? What are we looking at? And is this something that is affecting you Why is it affecting you? How has it affected you? How will it continue to affect you if we don't look at it? And that's really just about helping my clients gain leverage over all of the emotional pain that they're in, all of that loss that they feel, how lost they do feel in relationships. They're easily manipulated. They feel like they don't know who they are. They feel like they're in fight or flight constantly. And it's Less about let's label the narcissist and more about, okay, what's the reality? What what are we looking at here? How has it affected you? And how can we move forward from that? All right. So this brings me to my next point, which is that being raised by a narcissist. So you are in a situation where your parents, one or both are narcissist type people, or a lot of times you'll have kind of two situations. You'll have the narcissist mom who is married and the narcissist dad, or maybe just like, they call him like the flying monkey or they call him, I, I don't know. There's all kinds of weird labels out there in the narc world, but, but when you're, you're in a situation where you have a, a mom and the dad is just like doing the mom's bidding, he's just doing what she wants. She controls everything and you're raised in that situation. Or maybe you're raised by a narc mom who divorced a lot of people, and she's kind of a single mom. That was my mom. She could never stand (laughs) that kind of guy, but she attracted them regularly. She attracted two types of people, without question, hands down, every single person she attracted. And she attracted many people because she was a very beautiful woman and very charismatic. My dad, too, is also very good-looking and very charismatic. Those two were... Anyway, we'll talk about mom and dad another day. But my mom attracted one of two different types of people. She attracted a malignant narcissist, abusive person, usually an alcoholic, usually somebody who was going to be overtly abusive, or she attracted a really like kind, sweet, soft, demure person. And she hated both of them. On the one hand, she hated the abuser because of course he was abusing her and he was really horrible and and awful to be with and caused a lot of pain and frustration and emotional distress in her life but then she also hated the other type too the other type was just like it's just it's just funny to think about cuz there's just a lot going on there but he's just so kind and demure and soft and she hated him because she would say that he had no backbone he was just you know a wimp she didn't like that he had he couldn't stand up to her he wasn't a strong enough man for her and so those were the only two types of people that she ever brought into her life and anyway it's just kind of funny to think about and so for my mom she never allowed that kind of person to stay in a marriage with her. But a lot of times you'll get a mom who does let that kind of person stay in a marriage with her. And then those men tend to just do whatever the mom says, make peace with everybody is the go between for the adult children or even the, you know, the minor children. Um, he doesn't really have a, a whole lot of sense of self. He kind of is aloof a little bit here and there, or he just kind of deals with the mom's crazy. It's, it's kind of fun to, to witness that, um, as a person who, I hadn't experienced that firsthand, just the all of the divorces, and so it's kind of fun to have clients who are in that situation. But it's it's textbook. If you can, if you look up a book on narcissism, you will find your parents in there. If that's what your parent situation is, and then there's also the overtly abusive kind. You know, you've got two narcissist parents who are constantly battling it out, who have their own demons. Maybe you're you've got an alcoholic or a chemical dependent person or a substance abuser, or or somebody who's kind of the victim. They're kind of a martyr in the situation where they're constantly taking all the blame and taking the abuse and, you know, blaming themselves. And you just see this dynamic played out. And there's, 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 there's lots of iterations of this dynamic. So the narcissist parent situation, which can manifest in several different ways, but the bottom line is that these are emotionally immature adults who are using various negative or harmful ways to get all of their needs met. Okay, so if you are raised in this kind of a situation, usually the children turn out one of two ways. Not all the time, not 100% of the time, but the vast majority of the time. Either they become the narcissist themselves, or they become a victim to the narcissist that they easily attract the narc in their life. And sometimes they become a slight combo of both. I've actually seen that. And that's not, you know, that's not a bad thing. I think it's completely normal and natural. Children who are raised in a highly emotionally volatile situation have to deal with their fight or flight response. And some people come to this earth with a fight or flight response of, I'm a fighter and I have all the energy and I want to abuse just like I've been abused. Some people come to this earth with a fight or flight response of freeze, right? So they just shut down. They internalize everything. And they 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 quit moving right. Or sometimes it's fawn right. They they want to make themselves easygoing, and everyone likes them, and nobody ever has a problem with them. Nobody ever ever has to come into conflict with this person. They're constantly people pleasing. They're so sweet and nice, and everybody loves them. But they have no sense of self, and they have no boundaries, and it's really really hard to be that way. And they suffer in lots of different ways on the side that no one notices, right? And then you've got the liars, people who pretend and invent a version of themselves for the parents uh, so they can stay safe. And then those who escape, right? We've got people who just leave the situation. They dissociate or they leave as fast as possible. And then we have some people who are determined to live a better life than what they were raised in. Absolutely. I want to give acknowledgement to those types of people, but none of these people are better than others. These are just, this is just how sometimes we come to the earth or how we sometimes are kind of built and how you respond to your having been raised by a narcissist is really just part of you. And it's a beautiful part of you. And there's nothing wrong with you that you survived in this way. And it's really important to look at how did I survive? What did I become? Did I become one of these or maybe a, a combination of these? Did you know What is my go-to survival response in an emotionally volatile situation? So for me, for example, my go-to responses are to, uh, shut down in some circumstances in other circumstances, it's to lie or pretend create just the the version that they need, whatever that is. And then, um, other times it's the people pleasing one where I just kind of, those kind of overlap, I guess, you know, you just, you're really demure. Oh, Nope. I I'm definitely not in conflict, whatever works for you. And th- that's a great way to live. You know, it's, it's not terrible, but if you're like that all the time, you have no boundaries, it's, it can be a problem. So those are my tendencies. I'm very rarely a fighter, but sometimes that comes up, but the the main ones are, are the other ones. And so it's really been good for me to be aware of those so that I can see myself in highly volatile emotional situations. And the more awareness I get, the better I can get leverage next time that situation rolls around. So that's my invitation to you that you really look at your, what are your tendencies? What are your fight or flight responses When you are feeling emotionally unsafe and just get awareness of that. You don't even have to change it. Just get awareness of it. What does that look like? Get a journal, write it down. When was the last interaction you have with a narcissist? When was the last time you felt emotionally unsafe? And how did you respond to that? What were you thinking? What were you feeling? What did you do? Do you even remember it? Right? If you don't even remember it, that's dissociative. You've done the flight part of fight or flight. All right. So it's really good to get aware of that. And a lot I have a lot of clients who find themselves in this situation where they probably have some combination of both, where they sometimes a little bit have become the narc and sometimes they become the victim of the narc. Either way. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't make you a horrible person. So I have I have one client I was working with who was, you know, trying to make a marriage work, was working on her marriage, um, working on a business, all those things that she's she's working on. And when she would hear the the podcast when she would read my posts and and hear about narcissism and what narcs do, she was just like, Oh my gosh, I see myself. This is me. I'm the narc. <laughs> and what's really funny about that, when I look at that, I'm like, okay, if you're able to see that, if you have the awareness, it's really unlikely you're actually a narcissist because narcs just even if they were to read it verbatim in front of their face, they don't see it. They're just so unwilling to see their own <laughs> image in the mirror that. This is not what a narc would do. This is not how a narc, a true narc would respond. So first of all, if you're asking yourself, am I the narc? Oh no, I think I've become the narc, right? There's a really good chance you're not actually the narcissist, but it is really good that is. this is an opportunity to look at your narcissist tendencies. Because there's a the thing, if you have been raised by narcissists, there's really good chance you have some narc tendencies simply as a result of it being modeled for you of not being seeing other healthy ways in other situations. And of course, your fight or flight response that will show up, those tendencies that are there that haven't been trauma processed, that haven't been managed. And it's okay if you have narcissist tendencies in the sense that I don't ever want you to judge yourself about it. So remember going back to the label of the narcissist, is the narcissist label useful if you're going to judge that person for being a narcissist? And I submit that the answer is no. Because if you judge the narcissist in front of you as a narc with that sense of judgment, with that sense of they're a horrible person, then you open yourself up to when you start looking at your own narcissist tendencies, then you will judge yourself and believe that you are a horrible person and that you are in a hopeless situation. And so I would be really, really careful with the narcissist label. I know it's a really convenient word that I use a lot, but my invitation to you is that we use narcissists just in terms of reality, as opposed to in terms of judgment, so that when you can see your own narcissist tendencies, that judgment isn't there anymore. And it's really important to look at your own. I, I've i dealt with my own narc tendencies. I've got a few of them. <laughs> I've, I've had quite a few of them. And I, I would never lay myself a narc. You know, I, I don't think anyone has. Maybe they have. I, I hope not. Certainly, it's not my intention. But I've really worked on my awareness, my ability to process grief, my ability to look at my own pain, my ability to look at myself. And I believe that I am probably can safely assume I'm not the narcissist in the situation. But I do know that my tendencies sometimes come through. And it's really good to be aware of those. So one of the tendencies I have is jealousy. That is a big one. I have felt the feeling of jealousy in an intense way since I can remember. It was just, just a, a thing in my life. I've always been a super jealous person. <laughs> and I have spent many years working on my, my jealousy. I'm at the point now where I can see th- something that I want. And really have a lot of peace and self assurance because if somebody has or some, you know, something out in the world is something that I want that I don't have yet, right? I understand that that is something that is a representation of who I want to be in the future, results that I am working on getting. And I can manage myself while I wait for that thing to come to pass. And it's really not even about the thing, it's never about the thing that I'm jealous about underneath all that jealousy is this lack, is this sense of, I'm not good enough where I'm at. And that is a tendency that I learned. That was a big lesson I learned growing up, you know, that you're never good enough. That's just that, that is one of the main tenets of narcissism. If you're never good enough, then you will always keep trying and the narcissist will always get their emotional needs met from you because you, you never get to feel that sense of relief that you're good enough. And as I have been working on myself to really believe that I am good enough, what I have is good enough, everything is good enough in my life, which doesn't necessarily mean I never shoot for the goals that I want, but that I can feel peace and gratitude in the here and now, and also that sense of fulfillment that I am good enough just as I am, what I have is good enough and really retraining my brain to see myself that way, my jealousy has severely diminished. I mean, it just, it rarely pops up anymore. Sometimes it does. And thanks to Instagram, <laughs> Instagram does not help with the jealousy, let me tell you. And that's kind of, you know, the way Instagram is designed. So we can take with that what it's uh, what it means. But I really believe that these tendencies can be worked on. They can be healed. They can be severely diminished. They can be looked at and managed. And that is my hope for all people in this world, the narcissist or not, right? If, if true narcissists were able to do this work, it would solve so many problems. But unfortunately, they're just unwilling. So if you're here, then that means you're willing. And that is huge. It means you're not far gone. It means you're not in a hopeless situation and you're not in a situation where you're completely off the grid, where you can't get the help that you need. That's what a true narcissist is. They cannot get the help that they need. They simply aren't. They don't have the brain structures to do that. All right. So jealousy is one of them. Another narc tendency I have is lying. That's that's a big one. I feel like I'm definitely outing myself here. It's one of those things where when I was a child, I learned how to lie really quickly and really easily, but I didn't know that I was lying. I honestly believed what I was saying at the time. And then as soon as the context changed, then I would switch back to whatever it is I was thinking and feeling and Believing about that thing, and, and it wasn't a lie to me. It didn't really, it, it didn't really feel that way in terms of, of of how I related to people and what I told them and what I thought. But yeah, I, I I definitely would would be untruthful and say the opposite of thing that was true. And it was very much a fight or flight response for me. I did it without thinking. I I, I wasn't maliciously trying to make up stories to manipulate people. I was just trying. Like I was really activated in my body a sense of total fear, a sense of life or death and saying whatever I got to say to make sure that I stay safe. And that was just a habit that continued um, and still continues sometimes if I'm not careful. But how I've worked on that is managing my own emotions, being aware of, when am I activated? Okay. I feel my, my chest tightening. I feel my heart racing. I feel my mind start to shut down a little bit. I'm not breathing and when i can be fully aware of that i can take deep breaths i can move my body i can start to kind of shake out the the energy and i'm able to manage the fight or flight response rather than focus on oh no i'm i'm lying i'm a terrible liar and like judging myself because that that definitely doesn't work believe me that is not the thing that helps you to stop lying it actually Uh, creates more of it. And then just looking for where, you know, where am I lying to myself? Where am I being untruthful? Where was I untruthful in this situation? How can I make that right? How can I tell the truth better? How can I integrate the realities I've created and make them one reality? That's something that, uh, yeah, for sure, I've been working on for many years. Another narcissist tendency is to actually have a lack of boundaries. And it doesn't sound like a narcissist tendency because narcissists tend to be very controlling and they tend to like set way too many boundaries and 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 I wouldn't even call what they do boundaries. Boundaries are actually a really healthy way to to deal with people, but they're like demands and there are like rigid expectations and all of those things. So but that's the thing. The narcissist has demands and rigid expectations and has control, but they don't have Boundaries and the people they deal with don't have boundaries either. And so I define that as a narcissist tendency. And again, that is a fight or flight response. It's a way of saying, yep, do what you got to do so that I can stay safe because you can take whatever you need. You can, you know, take whatever time from me. You can take whatever you want and I will be fine as long as, as soon as it's done, I get to be safe. Right. And that is, again, Something that takes many tries and you know, months, maybe even years of work to rebuild just because it is so involved in the fight or flight response, but it's totally possible. I have learned to truly love boundaries. I used to be really scared of them, but i I love it when people remind me, oh, this is this is the boundary I set. And I'm like, oh, that's that's totally fine. Thank you for setting that boundary. That's really important to me. It shows me that you love me and it shows me that you love yourself. And it gives me permission to set a boundary. And when I set boundaries, you know, I I really try to tell the truth about what's going on with me. That's another way of telling the truth is to set a boundary. That's another way of avoiding the narcissist tendency of lying, right? So boundaries and uh, avoiding lying have been hand in hand for me and saying, you know, this is just not, this isn't what works for me. Uh, thank you, but I won't be going in this direction. You know, whatever it is, it's it's not easy. It it feels terrible for those of us who have been raised without this ability. But if you keep practicing, and it's something that you're passionate about, and you are willing to fail at it and learn from that failure over and over again, you will get much much better at that. And I love being in a healthy relationship where there are boundaries. I remember when Ryan and I were first married. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast yet, but. Ryan and I, my husband's name is Ryan. He and I were first married. It was not very pretty. (laughs) It was hard. I think I came to that relationship with a lot of unchecked narc tendencies. And then you're thrown into this highly uh, emotionally vulnerable situation. This person is now the one that knows you the absolute most above anybody else and this person has the power to leave you if somehow you fail to meet their expectations right there's just so much vulnerability there and for the first like 5 years maybe 3 or 4 years of our marriage i was convinced that he would leave i was convinced that one day it would just he would have enough and he would just leave and i just had to stay on my toes making sure everything was perfect in order to keep him around but ironically I would also do this weird stuff with my narc tendencies where I would sometimes guilt him <laughs> into things. I remember this one time I wanted to fly home to New Orleans to be with my mom. And we'd have to like put that on a credit card when you're first married and we weren't making any money. And it was just like a crazy situation. And I just was so sad at him. And I did the, the crying Like it was intentional. Like I remember thinking to myself, wait, am I actually guilting him? Is that a thing? Because I'd never really looked at that before, but it was true. Like I was like trying to make sure he could see me crying. Like I was, you know, and it worked. <laughs> it was so terrible. I totally manipulated him. And I didn't mean to. I was just in fight or flight because my mom was pressuring me to come visit her. It was a, a whole deal. It was, anyway, there was just a lot going on there. And I definitely did not act in a very healthy way all the time when we were first married which is again that's ironic because I was trying to be as perfect as possible to keep him around and I was doing the very things would make it so that somebody would not want to be around but Ryan the angel that he is was always reassuring me you know he's never going to leave me he's reassuring me that you know all the things that I wanted to hear and it took me years to believe him years but I'm here I do believe him now uh, that's something I never worry about anymore but it used to really haunt me all the time And I had never seen a marriage work before. My mom had been married five times, my dad four times. And I just knew, you know, that somewhere in the back of my mind that a long lasting healthy marriage just wasn't for me. It just wasn't in the cards. I would do my best, but, you know, I'm sure I would just fail and they would leave me. But that wasn't true. That I retrained that part of my brain to not believe that anymore. I helped that part of my brain emotionally mature. That part of my brain was emotionally immature. It wasn't fully developed and it took many years, but I got there. So that was fun being first married (laughs) and I'm so grateful for his patience and, you know, he's come a long way too and things that he's been working on on himself. And thankfully I did not marry somebody with tons of narc tendencies. I think it would have been a lot harder but sometimes we find ourselves in that situation where maybe you found someone who has a bunch of narc tendencies they haven't looked at yet, and maybe they're not a full-blown narcissist, but if they're willing to look at themselves, this could be the work that they could do. But my, if that's your situation, I don't recommend necessarily like trying to push that on them. Really just focus on yourself as best you can and allow them to be on their journey. And, and if they're curious, absolutely share you know, podcasts or posts or things like that with them. But um, I wouldn't recommend, you know, pushing it on them because it's not their job to fix themselves to make you happy. It's your job to manage yourself. Let's see. What are some more tendencies, narcissist tendencies that you might have as a result of being raised by narcissists? So we talked about guilting people, lack of boundaries. Ooh, blaming is a big one. That is a big one. I learned how to blame everyone for my emotional state growing up. That was just how it was. It was always somebody's fault that somebody else was feeling terrible And you had to fix it. Otherwise, you were a bad person, bad daughter, bad mom, bad all the things. And that was something that took me years to get out of because you just can't see any other possibility. You're just like, well, it's got to be somebody's fault. It was not my fault. It must be theirs. It was not their fault. It must be mine. Right? Right that's how narcissists do. They love to blame other people. They don't want to take appropriate responsibility because blame is a really special word that has not only responsibility, but it also has, it's like a a sense of culpability. It's a sense of you must suffer for the thing that you're responsible for. There's There's a really heavy connotation of suffering and a heavy connotation of fixing it You know, it's all up to you to fix. And if you don't fix it, something bad will happen or things will never get better. And it'll all be your fault that something fell apart. Right. That's that's that heavy connotation of blame. And of course, as you can imagine, entering a marriage with that uh, tendency probably uh, certainly did not go well for me. But I have learned that blaming just doesn't have a place in a healthy relationship ever. Like it is never necessary to blame any anyone. Never. And I really, really love that I have adopted and really changed my brain about what it means to take responsibility for your thoughts, emotions, and actions, even if they weren't ideal. Appropriate responsibility, right, is about saying, yes, I took that action. I absolutely did. It had this effect. And these are the steps I will take to either make it right or whatever needs to happen in that situation, but not from a place of pressure and it's all my fault. And I'm a horrible person. It like makes you a bad person. That's, that's what differentiates, uh, shame from guilt, right? So guilt is feeling bad for something that you might've done. Whereas shame is believing that you're a bad person because of what you've done using your actions as evidence that you are now a terrible person. And so that's, that's where it gets really tricky because if you are presenting with some narc tendencies and you are used to blaming or and being blamed and being judged, then your brain is automatically going to be like, well, I'm the narcissist. It's me. Of course, I'm a narcissist and I'm terrible and I'm hopeless and all the, the terrible feelings. And so I'd be really, really careful with that and let go of the tendency to blame other people, even if it's true, right? We're no longer going to blame the narcissist. We know that they take action and do certain things and it has this effect on us. But if we buy into the blaming of them for our feelings, then we are buying into the narcissist game. And we don't do that no more. We don't buy into that game anymore. And this is how you stop playing. This is part of how you stop playing, is you stop blaming them for your feelings. So let's say your narcissist mom is criticizing you and judging you about something, then your job isn't to, well, it's her fault that I feel criticized and blamed. Right? No, you just say, "Yep, she said some words, and it triggered some things in me that I still haven't dealt with." Right? I think I'm secretly judging myself, and she just brought that to the forefront because <laughs> narcissists are amazing at this. They know how to sniff out your innermost insecurities and just stick it in your face. Like they're amazing at that. I I believe that's a fight or flight response. It's 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 a a survival mechanism to hurt you the absolute most so that they get their needs met. And they they sometimes will throw spaghetti at the wall and try a bunch of different things, but they will find the thing that makes you squirm the most. If they spend enough time with you and you're not aware and you're not like watching for it, they'll find it. <laughs> I've seen this over and over and over again. And that's really what narcissism is. I think we've talked about this before in the podcast as well. That narcissism is a survival mechanism. And even a full-blown narcissist is an emotional child in a lot of pain trying to get their needs met, it doesn't mean we have so much compassion on them that we give them all of the things that they demand, but it's really good to have that kind of safe compassion for them that keeps you from judging them, but also keeps you from being sucked into their manipulative tactics. So yeah, blaming others is a narcissist tendency and also judging others and criticizing others, finding fault with people, looking for the negative, looking for something that is a flaw in somebody else. That's all about fulfilling this need to feel superior, to feel better than someone else so that you can feel like you're good enough. That's a narcissist tendency. So if you find yourself being negative, if you find yourself struggling with criticizing other people, just be aware that this is a narcissist tendency. It doesn't make you a full-blown narcissist, but just be aware of it that what you're really trying to accomplish is feeling good enough, feeling like permission to love yourself because, oh, look at this evidence. I'm better than that person. Look at what they don't have. Look at how they're failing in this way. Now I now I have permission to feel better about me. This is really about fulfilling that childlike need to feel like I earn someone's love. And that's really what narcissism is all about. It's about earning love. It's about unconditional, uh, I'm sorry, it's about conditional love where you do a thing, say a thing, think a thing. And then that narcissist is like, yes, that meets my needs. I'm going to give you all the love now. Or if you fail to do that thing, they withdraw from you. They abandon you. They tell you're not good enough. They heap a bunch of emotional abuse at you, guilting, blaming, Uh, demanding lack of boundaries, all the things. I had a client reach out recently about her mom. And this client is an amazing person. She's growing her family. And every time she has a baby or gets pregnant, every time she talks to her mom about it or announces it to her family, her mom gets really upset and really, really sad. She makes it all about her because she wasn't able to have children. This person was adopted. And she makes it so that She cannot be happy for her daughter. She makes it about the loss in her life. And this poor client of mine has never felt safe enough to celebrate all the wonderful things in her life. It's not safe for her to celebrate amazing things, celebrate the fact that she's growing her family, celebrate wins in her business, celebrate things that she's learning and growing and changing because every time she does, it's reminding her mother of something that she's not doing or she didn't have or whatever. It's just really, really sad and it, it diminishes the light that we have, or at least that's what we think we have to do in order to survive that situation because we're suddenly kicked into fight or flight. Mom's upset. Mom's not okay. Mom is really sad. That's not a safe place to be. So we need to instantly dim our light, make sure that we are diminished, not celebrating the wonderful things in our life so that we never make mom feel sad. And that is such a tragedy. It's a tragedy on all sides because There's no reason why any of us should hold back our light. Absolutely no reason whatsoever. No reason why any of us should hold back our celebrations or who we are or what we accomplish or the the wonderful things that we contribute to this world. And the fact that somebody else that we care about, that we love, is experiencing a lot of grief for their own reasons, having to do with the thing you're celebrating. I mean, I get it. Sometimes it is hard. I remember I lost a lot of babies and it was hard to see... The women who were pregnant at the same time as me go on to have their babies, and then I didn't. I understand that there's plenty of loss there, and I have a lot of compassion for this mom. But unfortunately, this mom is unwilling to look at her loss. She's unwilling to deal with it, and she demands that other people around her diminish themselves so that she gets a little reprieve, and that is inappropriate. That is emotionally abusive. It's not okay that they do that. Yes, you can have compassion for the mom who's experienced so much loss, but her loss belongs to her. It belongs to her. Let her have it. Let her keep it. You're allowed to shine your light. You're allowed to be who you are and be as big as you want to be because your bigness doesn't make someone else feel pain. They were already feeling the pain. They were already dealing with that. They just chose to express it at you because they thought that would make them feel better. But it probably never actually did make them feel better. If it did, it didn't last very long because they're not, kind of like we talked about in the other episode, that's a band-aid on a bullet wound. You're not actually solving the problem by making yourself smaller. You're you're just doing a, a temporary solution for them, but they're not actually helping themselves deal with their grief. And so it's going to continue to perpetuate, and that cycle will continue, and that becomes a habit And then you go through life wondering why it's hard for you to show up in the ways you want to show up because you've got this this habit. And the best way to do that is to lovingly and kindly and self-compassionately work on teaching yourself that it is safe now. It's safe now to celebrate who I am. It's safe to celebrate my wins. I am safe and my mom is safe too. She's going to be okay. Even if she's sad, she's going to be okay. So really coming back to yourself with that. And that's just one of many things that my clients deal with. It's really it's really such a it can be such a struggle sometimes. And I 100% get it and it's not easy, but if you take the time to do this work, you're going to clean up all those narcissist tendencies, be willing to look at them even if they're painful, even if it feels like, oh no, what have I done? I had a client that I was working with recently who has been struggling with postpartum depression. And I, I, we've talked about this on the podcast. I struggled with that for many years. And now that I'm on the other side of it, oh my gosh, I have so much compassion. So much compassion for this client. So much compassion for myself. And I was really judging myself hard during that time because of course, right? Like how could a good mom do these things that I'm doing? But trust me, you're a good mom. You really, really are. Believe me. Just keep going. Learn these tools. Do the work on yourself be patient with yourself. You've got this. But yeah, so this client was seeing the narcissist tendencies that she has had because she was raised by narcs in her life. She was seeing them come out during these postpartum rage episodes or whatever it is that she was experiencing. And it was terrifying to her, right? It's just like, it's like, oh no, I'm the problem. It's me. I should be the one that they should go no contact with. I should be the one that should be labeled and judged and all the things. Right. And it's like, no, it's okay. First of all, forgive yourself. Take a look at yourself. Look at what you, what actions you took from a neutral place. What did you say? What did you do? Where did that come from? What was that emotion that drove that action? What was that thought that drove that emotion? And just get awareness of what's happening. Tons of compassion, tons of self forgiveness while also understanding that if you took certain actions that are not acceptable, then they're not acceptable and you commit to not doing those actions again. And then you take a look at where they came from, why you did what you did, what you were thinking and feeling, and you make new steps to no longer do those unacceptable things again. I mean, and and I say that with, the reason why I say unacceptable is because sometimes when we really are in the massive fight or flight that being a mom can sometimes be for our brains, especially those of us raised by narcissists, that could that that's a huge trigger. And then on top of that, lack of sleep and <laughs> the constant availability, the the constant interruption, the the constant need there, it's it's very, very triggering. And so when your body's in fight or flight, it's gonna do what it was taught to do at a very, very young age. So of course, of course you have those tendencies. Of course they're coming out when things get when like things really hit the fan, right? lots of compassion for yourself. What can you do to help support yourself so that you take different action next time? Teaching yourself that you're safe, setting yourself up with a lot of support. If you can't set yourself up with support, other tactics you can use to manage your fight or flight response. Breathing. One of my favorite things to do and my favorite tool that I used when I was going through postpartum, I think I've talked about this, I don't remember, (laughs) but I love the analogy of the analogy of a car its so so good. So when you're feeling good, you're in the green, and when you are slightly triggered, you're in the yellow. When you're like really getting triggered, you're in the orange, and when you are past the point of no return, you are in the red. You are the rage monster, right? And when you can gauge, when you can get awareness of where you're at at any given time, oh no, I'm in the yellow zone. Okay, we're in the yellow. I'm starting to get slightly triggered you're just aware of it, right? And then you're like, Oh, no, I'm starting to get into the orange zone. And when I started getting aware of this, I had a plan. And my plan was, as soon as I started getting the yellow and orange zones, I would immediately step away from the situation, whatever that looked like, as long as children were safe, I would put them in a safe situation, and then I would leave the room. And then if I had a lot of rage building up in my body, I would start doing push-ups to burn that energy out of my body. And I don't Have the ability to do very many push ups at any given time. So it didn't take very long for me to exert myself and exhaust myself in that moment. That would help me to breathe and it would help me to process and shake all that energy out. And then once I could manage the rage, then I would get back in there and resume the high demand mom situation. That tactic was amazing and it really helped me to never have a rage episode again. And that's just. One of the many things you could do, find little things like that to help you process when things just have gone a little too far, when, when thoughts won't work because you're just triggered, you're in a f- state or fight or flight and you need to move the energy out of your body. That's okay. And then later you go back and you look at, okay, what was I thinking and feeling? Okay. I was overstimulated. I was feeling resentful of my husband because he wasn't doing this, or I was feeling trapped or I was feeling powerless All of those things are going to lead to that fight or flight response. A lot of one of my biggest triggers is powerlessness for sure. That's a big one. And so I've been able to be more aware of that and look for that when um, that is being triggered for me and then I can manage it even better. All right. So those are some narc tendencies that I hope you can recognize whatever narc tendencies you may or may not have. Maybe you don't have them at all. And that's amazing. Great job. Good for you. But if you do, because you happen to be raised by a narcissist, lots of compassion for yourself. Get them on a list. Start tackling them one by one. Tons of patience with yourself. You have all the time in the world. Lots of of self love. Lots of self compassion. Lots of self-forgiveness um, in this journey on this path. And the next time you can see, okay, I might be dealing with a narcissist, you look at it through the lens of, yep, that's just reality. Now I know the protocol to deal with a narcissist. I make different choices and I use different language or whatever it is you decide, as opposed to, oh my gosh, they're a terrible narcissist and I hate them and they they can hurt me and they're terrible, right? We we're not gonna go that far because that's not gonna serve us. At least that's my my philosophy. Let me know if you have any questions. You can email me at laura at by the way, You can also DM me or comment on any of my posts at my Instagram at lara by the way. And if you are ready to take your work to the next level, I offer coaching. We do one-on-one coaching to get you through all of these and it will accelerate and fast track your results. And I'm so excited to work with you. Go ahead and go to my show notes. There's a place to apply for one-on-one coaching. And we always do complimentary consultations. <laughs> so we can have that chat and see if coaching is right for you. All right. I hope you have an amazing day. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye. Are you ready to take your post narc life from dream to reality? I work with people just like you who've had to survive a lot of narcissist abuse and want to build things they never thought possible. If you want my help, I offer one-on-one coaching where we deep dive into your specific situation and clear out all the narcissist conditioning in your way so that you can start living the life you want. Feeling peace and setting boundaries? That is just the beginning. Go to LauraBytheway.com to apply for your one-on-one coaching spot. See you there.